Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Psalm 118. O give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear Yahweh say, his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on Yahweh. Yahweh answered me and set me free. Yahweh is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Yahweh is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in Yahweh than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in Yahweh than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of Yahweh, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of Yahweh, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of Yahweh, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but Yahweh helped me. Yahweh is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of Yahweh does valiantly. The right hand of Yahweh exalts. The right hand of Yahweh does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of Yahweh. Yahweh has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to Yahweh. This is the gate of Yahweh. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is Yahweh's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that Yahweh has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Yahweh. O Yahweh, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahweh. We bless you from the house of Yahweh. Yahweh is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. O give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Man, Josh and Eric are all all talk, all bark, no bite. They told me before the service, they're like, hey, we're going to tell people we're going to send out a link uh, and vote on the sermon. The sermon's going to totally ride on him being an elder. And then they didn't do it. They're like, we're going to do it where you can like and thumbs up and thumbs down during the message. He's like, we're going to take a tally at the end. It's all riding on this. So this is an important sermon. So, All right. So let's go ahead and pray, and let's prepare our hearts to receive God's word. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heavenly Father, that's our, our desire to see it. Like all of us want to see your kingdom come fully as it is in heaven. We want to see it rule over this land, this hurting land. 
And even as we send out Kaylee and her friends and her team, we want to see people be blessed by your kingdom, that your kingdom would rule in our hearts, that you, Lord Jesus, would sit on the throne because you do, and you would sit on the throne in our hearts and that we would live as ambassadors for your kingdom and that the glimpses of your kingdom and people would taste your kingdom and see your kingdom come through your people. And so we even asked this morning that you would allow your kingdom come on this stage, in this building, in Menifee, in Menifee as it is in heaven. That today and this week as we experience and enjoy and celebrate Holy Week, that we would be so captivated by your word, so captivated by this historical event that changes lives, that it would affect our lives this week, and that we would pour ourselves out in love to our neighbor, to anybody that you come, we come encounter with, and that they would be blessed by Holy Week just like we are. Please be with us. And I ask, Holy Spirit, please fill me, use me, fill all of us. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see. Let us be impacted by your word. It is your word, Holy Spirit. It is your word, Father. It is your word, Lord Jesus. And so many times we come to it like it's just something to be dissected and something to look at rather than an encouragement and a decree and a command from our God, from Yahweh, our covenant-keeping God. Help us, Holy Spirit, to experience your word the way it's supposed to be experienced. Let it not fall on deaf ears. Please be with us. We love you. We praise things in your name. Amen. So I'm an electrician, and being an electrician comes with a lot of assembly. Like, I didn't know that, but when I started to become an electrician, man, we are assembling things all the time. Like, if something breaks, we have to take it apart and then put it back together. Like, one thing that we have to fix a lot is cords on power tools because the mechanics mess them up. There's disrespect in power tools. No, but they, they, you know, run it over the cord, so we have to take off the cord, you know, take apart the drill or whatever it is, and we have to open it up, take the wires from the power drill, the motor, and we have to disassemble everything. And man, as we fix it and put it back together, we have to follow all these little steps. And man, it is such a bummer when you're done and you realize you forgot one thing in the very beginning to put on. And you have to take it all apart and do it all over again. And like that's one reason why I dislike strongly baking. Because man, baking is horrible that way. Like, if you forget one little thing, man, it ruins everything. It's like, why is my cake all flat? It looks like a cookie. It's like, oh, dang it, I forgot that one little tiny thing in the beginning. So I leave that to Lydia because she's good at that. But the reason why I say this is because when we come to the Scriptures, and especially this Psalm, especially the Psalms, one thing that you'll notice is that Jesus is in the Psalms constantly. Man, there's so many connections to Jesus that you can make. Because all of Scripture is actually pointing to him. He said that on, on the road as he was talking to those disciples, he showed them every single thing that talked about him, starting with Moses. And he went through all of the Old Testament Scriptures, showing them 
what was speaking of Jesus himself. Isn't that cool? And if you've been with us for a while as we're going through the Psalms, that's something you've probably noticed is how often there's connections to Jesus in the Psalms. And it's really cool. It's amazing how David and these people who are writing these Psalms were actually prophesying through their experiences. And that's why sometimes as we're reading the Psalms, we can kind of get that feeling. It's like, David didn't go through that. Why is he writing that? Well, I bet you as he's even composing these Psalms, he's probably amazed like, well, God's giving it to me and he's writing it. It's probably kind of like his experience, but it seems a little bit more extreme than it really is. And we're going to see that, especially on Good Friday, going through Psalm 22. It's an amazing passage, how clearly it connects to Jesus. And the reason why I say this is because the Jews, just like me missing a, you know, a step in my process, is the Jews missed Jesus. The Pharisees missed Jesus. One of the most important things, they missed Jesus in the Psalms. They missed Jesus in the prophetic writings, and they left him out. When they saw him, they did not experience him for who he is. They did not experience the Old Testament scriptures as they were to be experienced, as we get to experience them because we know Jesus and we see Jesus in them. And so today, you know, my goal is to show us Jesus, how this psalm, it's for a king, it's for David, or at least in that time, but it's really a borrowed psalm, and it's really written actually for our King Jesus, not for King David. And so Psalm 118, it's really cool. It doesn't give us an author. You know, usually right above the psalm, it will say like a psalm of David or a psalm of um, Asaph. And in this psalm, this is a psalm that was most likely written by David or at least for David because it's a psalm for a king entering into the temple, a psalm for a king building a temple. And it's most likely, if you guys can, turn to Ezra chapter 3. It's five or four books back, backwards if you guys want to turn your Bible. Ezra chapter 3. And Ezra, Ezra is a book, these, these Jewish people were taken captive by Babylon. And now the king of Babylon, Cyrus, is actually letting them go back to Jerusalem, letting them go back, and they're releasing these exiles. And now in, in Ezra chapter 3, David and these people are rebuilding the foundation of the temple. And so it's this triumphal thing. It's this beautiful thing that God is giving them victory. God is even letting pagan kings and emperors actually obey him and releasing believers and Jews back to the land. It's really cool. And so as they're building this foundation for the temple, they just praise God for it. And look what it says. So Ezra chapter 3, starting in verse 10. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Yahweh, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Yahweh according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Yahweh. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And that is a quote. There's a lot of psalms that quote 
this type of thing, for his steadfast love endures forever. But it's most likely a Psalm 118. And it's really cool. Whether it was written just during that time or before, they used this Psalm. The Jews used this Psalm every time God advanced. Every time God gave them victory, they would use this Psalm. And this Psalm actually starts to become something that they use at festivals every year. And so this psalm, Psalm 113 through 118, they call it the Egyptian Hillel. And this Hillel is a festival psalm that they would sing at the Passover. So every single year at Passover, these Jews would get together and they would sing Psalm 113 through 118. And what's really cool is that Jesus was a Jew. So that means he must have grew up reading these psalms every year. And so... Through this psalm, it's kind of like their favorite track, like how we get to Christmas, and you know, some of you guys put on your favorite Christmas songs, you know, like some of you probably Mariah Carey or whatever you're thinking, you know, or Phil Wickham, I know some of you guys love Phil Wickham, and they were doing the same thing, popping in, boom, David, Psalm 113 through 118, bumping the Hillel Psalms, getting ready for this Passover, getting ready for these festivals, and they would sing it so they knew it. It was in their traditions that they would sing these things, and it's really cool because it shows of a God who is faithful to their king, who let, gives them access into the gates, into the temple. And because of the faithfulness of the king, now all of the people get access into this temple. All of the people actually get access, just like the king, because of his faithfulness, get access into this temple, into these gates. And one really cool thing about this psalm is if you notice while Aletheia was reading, she said the word Yahweh, the name Yahweh, instead of what your Bible most likely said is Lord. So that word Lord, if you look at it, do you notice that it's in all caps? So that word Lord was actually, every time you see Lord in the scriptures, in the New, Test, in the New Testament, it's always going to be like uppercase L and then lowercase O-R-D. But in the Old Testament, there'll be either a lowercase L-O-R-D or uppercase L lowercase o-r-d, or in this case, there's going to be uppercase l-o-r-d. And what that is doing is it's showing you that it's actually the very covenant name of God. And I've mentioned this in messages before, but the reason why they do this is because the Jews had this tradition that they were even scared to say the name of God. And so what they started to do is they fit in the word Adonai, which was Lord, in place of Yahweh, in place of his covenant-keeping name because they were scared of even reading it or else they might die. And so they had this tradition of changing it to Adonai, Lord. And so we kind of kept that tradition, but what we do to give us, to signify what it's doing is we put it in all caps. And it's really cool. And when I was reading this psalm, I was reading it over and over again. I was reading it with the word Lord instead of Yahweh. And this psalm uses the covenant-keeping name of God more than any other chapter in all of the Bible. This psalm uses the covenant-keeping name more than any other psalm in the Old Testament, even more than Psalm 119. And it's not the longest psalm. It's only 29 verses, yet it says it 28 times. Isn't that cool? And it's because the reason why they would say that is because as they're feeling victorious and as they're feeling thankful for God saving them and giving them victory, 
All they can kind of just shout forth is the steadfast love of this covenant-keeping God, this God who visited Moses, the God who's the God of their fathers, Jacob, you know, Moses, all these Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are so thankful for this covenant-keeping God that all they could do is just like say his name over and over again. And isn't that cool? And so they say it. It just blew my mind. And I wanted her to read it with Yahweh instead of Lord because I missed how often it said Lord, how often it said Yahweh, because I was just reading it with that filler word, Lord. It says it almost every single verse in this chapter because it's important, because it was them just shouting forth praise for this Yahweh. And so real quick, just some kind of outline. Verses 1 through 4, this king is calling his people, all people, himself, Israel, and these priests, and everyone who fears the Lord to praise God for his steadfast love endures forever. Verses 1 through 4. And then verses 5 through 6 is a king's testimony of distress, of pain. So if you look at verse 5, out of my distress I called on the Yahweh. The Yahweh answered me and set me free. The Yahweh is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Verse 8, it is better to take refuge in the Yahweh than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Yahweh than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me in the name of the Yahweh. I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounding me on every side. In the name of the Yahweh, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Yahweh, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Yahweh helped me. The Yahweh is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Verses 5 through 16 is this king's testimony of his distress, of his pressure that he went through, of the suffering he went through, but God being faithful, the covenant keeping God being faithful to his promise to keep him and to bring him through that. And then verses 17 through 19, it's this king gains entry into these gates. Look at verse 17. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Yahweh. The Yahweh has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Yahweh. And so this man has suffered. This king went through the discipline of the Lord, severe discipline of the Lord, and has survived and now he enters in. He almost like commands entrance into these gates. And for them, it would have been the temple gates. It would have been this temple that they're building that King David would have had access to. And they were rejoicing in King David being that king. But we all know that in Ezra, man, that climax failed horribly. They realized it was not the way it was supposed to be. This psalm did not get fulfilled in the Old Testament. But this psalm, this king, David was borrowing this psalm. David was not the author of this psalm in reality. David is not the subject of this psalm. But there's somebody else who actually fits this psalm even way more clear, way deeper. And it's amazing how we find it in the person and work of Jesus. And then in Psalm 118, verses 20 through 29... This king is no longer alone. He actually, as he enters into the gates, he now lets this flood of righteous people 
enter into the gate. Look at verse 20. This is the gate of the Yahweh. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Yahweh's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So this king has suffered. This, the gates have been opened to him. And now he enters, he lets everybody come in with him. The righteous enter by this gate that the king opened up. And now the psalm turns from mainly using I and me to using us and our because it's now the church and the congregation singing along with this king that has entered into the temple and have given access to the Father. Isn't that cool? And so Israel would have done the same at that time, being thankful to God, keeping his covenant promise to David, rejoicing for David, entering into the gates and getting access, but now them getting access because of David. And we, again, find a deeper meaning in Psalm 118 as we look to Jesus. And I want to spend the rest of our time looking at how Jesus used this psalm on Holy Week. It's really cool. This psalm, I wish I could express to you the greatness of this psalm. As I was studying it the last three weeks, it blew my mind. There was just so much. Even this morning, instead of almost prepping to write, I kept just reading. I kept just reading history on it. I was like, man, I got to focus. Like, do something with this. Because it was so amazing. And I was telling someone today, it's like, man, preaching and prepping for a sermon is like eating a full meal and then just coming up and like, here, you guys get 30 minutes of what I spent eating for like three weeks. Like, you guys get little scraps of what I experienced. And so I would encourage you, enjoy this psalm, even throughout the weeks, throughout this holy week. Read the Hillel Psalms. Read like the Jews will be doing. Chapters 113 through 118. And experience the deep heritage and culture that we get to inherit as we're grafted into this covenant community. Amen? And it is such a bummer to see us as a Christian culture. They say for the last 300 years we've moved from enjoying the Psalms and worship to mainly using hymns, written songs, instead of the Psalter, instead of using the psalm book, the actual worship book that God has given us through his people, we have neglected it in a worship setting and have turned to written hymns that are outside of Scripture. And it's such a bummer, which God does command us, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Hymns are great and we can use them. It's okay. And spiritual songs are great, and they're good. But we should not neglect any of those three things that he gives us. And psalms are one of them. Yet for some reason, we have thrown them away because we think almost as if they should be only in the Old Testament. But no, we need to embrace them the way God calls us to and enjoy them. And so if you guys take notes or even have your phone, one way to do that, there's two groups that I know that are doing this right now. There's this one called the Psalms Project, and they want to create a song for every psalm. And right now they're only up to, I think, like Psalm 40. So it's the Psalms Project. If you guys haven't heard of them, look it up. The other one is Poor Bishop Hooper. This is the one that I'm using with my family. I've been using it for the last year. Poor Bishop Hooper. And 
what they're doing is they're releasing a psalm every single week. So every Wednesday, they release a new psalm. So they started with Psalm 1, and they just finished Psalm 119. And it's really cool how they did even Psalm 119. Is every break in Psalm 119 where it's like Beth, Selah, Kadeth, or whatever that break is, they just wrote a song for those verses within those breaks. And so, man, that's a lot of songs. And they're working hard to put out a psalm every single week. Enjoy it and embrace the psalms the way that the Jews did. Embrace the psalms the way that God calls us to embrace the psalms. Sing it with them with your kids. Because I would encourage you, just like Jesus grew up with the psalms, our kids should grow up with the psalms. Because all of us, man, so many of us are hurt in our pain. Starts when we're a kid. Like, man, when you get older, you start to realize, if you go to counseling, man, it's like, they go, okay, tell us about your childhood. And you're like, oh, that didn't affect me. And then you're like crying like a little baby. Oh my gosh, my dad. You know, it's like, and uh, sorry if you have dad issues. I have daddy issues. That's why I could say that. I feel like I, feel like I could say that because I got daddy issues. But, you know, you find so many people who have these deep issues that affect them for the rest of their lives in their childhood or early on in their teen years. And the Psalms can help us encourage us to get through those deep times, that one we're pressed, that one we're cut, that the Psalms would pour out of our souls. Yet we're not giving our kids those, those tools to be able to handle those deep-rooted scars. They will go through tough times. I pray that you would use these Psalm books to actually help your kids and yourself process that hurt and that pain through the psalms because the psalms are there as ointment to our flesh and refreshment to our bones amen and jesus as we look at his life he uses it all the time and it's really cool and yeah that poor bishop pooper has been a huge blessing to my family and i would encourage you all to listen to it when we lost our baby you know just 10 weeks in but it was hard for us and when we were having problems with emory man that Psalm 23 and Psalm 91, we listened to every single night, multiple times, crying, enjoying it, feeling refreshed, and thankful. And as I was going through hard times, those psalms were the things that were just God putting ointment on that, that wound. And so, yeah, I'll stop beating that dead horse, but man, enjoy the psalms. Get a group that is singing the psalms and listen to them and use them the way that they're supposed to. All right, so Psalm 118. Now, Jesus loved this psalm, it seems like. This psalm is debated, but it's the most quoted psalm in the New Testament, depending on how you see them being quoted, but it's for sure quoted about 18 times, and then it's debated whether it's really quoted 38 times. The second psalm that's quoted the most is Psalm 110, and it's um, quoted about 20 times. And so this psalm was one of the New Testament's favorite psalms, and Jesus quotes it a ton throughout Holy Week. And so let's start with, look at verse, verse 17. So Psalm 118, verse 17. I shall not die, but I shall live, and recount the deeds of the Yahweh. Look at John 11. So John 11 is the story of Lazarus dying. So he's sick, and Mary and Martha send to him to come 
to heal him. Well, Jesus falls back a couple days and waits instead of coming right away. And then he finally shows up, and it's already four days past Lazarus being dead, and they've lost hope. And then Jesus says right here in John 11, verse 25 and 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? It's not an exact quote, but this is the only thing in Psalm 118 and all of the Old Testament that is even close to what Jesus is saying. And the reason why I believe that he's quoting Psalm 118 is because what happens the days to come. Because this happened probably the day before Holy Week. So if we were in the exact time, it probably happened yesterday. And Jesus is now to Martha, in my mind, he's pulling up Psalm 118 and he's like, you will not die, you will live. And he goes, do you believe this? And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die, do you believe this? And then look at, look at John 11, starting in verse 40. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Why would Jesus pick the, the statement, thank you that you have heard me, to prove to them that the Father sent him? Isn't that weird? Because we're missing something. So Jesus goes, I'm going to pick this one statement to pray to God so that the Pharisees and these people here can know that I'm the Messiah. And he picks, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Now look back at Psalm 118. Look at verse 21. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. Again, remember, we're dealing with people who listen to these Psalms for sure every year. They're right now probably preparing for the Passover by reading these psalms, singing these psalms. When he's saying these little things to Martha, he shall not die, but he shall live, she probably is picking up on Psalm 118. When he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, they probably are hearing him being this king that's going to come and open up the gates. You guys get it? You guys see that? It's pretty cool. And then he goes even further. So look at Matthew 21, verse 9. And then we get to Palm Sunday. So that was Saturday. He's telling Martha, he's breaking up the, open up the Psalms. And he's like, all right, let me show you Psalm 118. And he's teaching her and dropping these little hints how he's that king that's coming. You know, he will not die, but he'll live. And then he goes, thank you, Father, that you've heard me. And then look at Matthew 21. This is the triumphal entry. This is now Sunday, him coming in on a donkey, on a colt, and they're worshiping him as this king. So verse, let's start in verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna, which means save us. 
to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And that's a direct quote from Psalm 118. But look at verse 10 of this section. So verse 9 again. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Verse 10. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? They know who he's claiming to be, but who is this? Because they know what this is a quote from. It's Psalm 118. Psalm 118, verse 25. Save us, we pray, O Yahweh. O Yahweh, we pray, give us success. That's Hosanna. And then verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Yahweh. We bless you from the house of the Yahweh. Who is this man who is claiming in John 11 to be the person that's going to give them life, not death, who's claiming that the Father hears him? Who's this man that now the crowds are shouting forth, Hosanna, blessed is the man who comes in the name of Yahweh. Who is this man? The Pharisees missed it. The Pharisees, again, are claiming that he's not this man. But he is this man. He is this king. He's this king that's going to open up the gates for all believers to come flooding in because he's the one that went through the distress, went through the punishment so that we can gain access. And then look at, in the same section of Matthew, look at Matthew 21, 33. So it's a long section. I'm just going to read it fast and to see what Jesus does with this parable and what passage he quotes. So here another parable. Matthew 21, 33. Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, the Pharisees, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, Psalm 118, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. What's so crazy is these Pharisees are actually getting proper teaching from Jesus saying, Hey, these tenants, right? Let me tell you the story of this slaughtered son. What is the father going to do to them, those tenants who slaughtered his son? Well, he's going to punish them. And he's like, have you never read 
And he quotes Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our sight, in our eyes. And the Jews, the Pharisees at this time, being so covetous of the son's inheritance, they probably are saying the same thing, wanting the kingdom for themselves, not for the son. They're going to actually fulfill this very prophecy, even though it was told to them because they so badly wanted the kingdom their way. Isn't that crazy? Like imagine you being that person wanting to arrest this guy. This guy's making this huge claim that he's the son, that he's the stone that the builders rejected, and he's calling them the builders. And they know that he's calling them the builders, and they're like, let's kill him. Like that just sounds weird to me, but it's crazy because they cannot go against the purpose of the Lord. They cannot go against the sovereignty of our God. Look how powerful he is, and it's marvelous in our eyes. This should amaze us that they couldn't even stop themselves from fulfilling this prophecy, from fulfilling this psalm. Jesus was clearly giving it to them and telling them, you are the builders. And they said, we perceive that he's talking about us. We won't kill him now. We'll do it later. And that's even to fulfill the prophecy when Jesus wants them to. It's crazy. It's so cool. So this is most likely as Holy Week's going on. Hosanna's just already been sung. They've declared him, even though if they really understood it or not, they declared him as the true king of Psalm 118. And now as Jesus is going throughout his ministry, he's proclaiming to them that they are the builders and he's the stone that's going to be in the cornerstone and everything's going to be built on it. And it's going to become the highest mountain, the highest building, the highest temple ever made through Jesus being this cornerstone. And then he goes even further. So Psalm 118, look again. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Yahweh. We bless you from the house of the Yahweh, verse 26. Well, Jesus, right, who quoted this in the New Testament? The crowds, right? The crowds came and said, Hosanna, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But then what's even cooler is Jesus quotes this about himself. Look at back at Psalm, or Matthew, Matthew 23, starting in verse 37. And as you're turning there, chapter 23 of Matthew is these, these woes that Jesus is going to give to these scribes and Pharisees, telling them how just wicked and horrible and who they truly are. But as he's doing that, he's going to break into a lament. And that's where we see right here. Verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Isn't that cool? And so Jesus, Sunday he heard them shout it, and he's probably loving that they're seeing him, who he is, probably just a glimpse and he's now calling out these Pharisees, telling them that they're the builders that are going to reject him, that he's going to have to punish. And then now he's calling out these Pharisees and these 
these rulers and he's telling them of what they're doing and who they truly are and it breaks his heart and now it's weird because it's either that he's looking over Jerusalem and just speaking to Jerusalem itself or he's actually speaking to these people still but regardless of what it is he knows that in a couple days the next weekend that veil is going to be torn open and it's going to be like a sign to everybody of this desolate place that God no longer dwells there. It's no longer open to worship God. It's no longer open to come and experience the presence of God. It's torn open like it's vacant. And he goes, oh, Jerusalem, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And what's really cool is that either he's speaking of his second coming or he's speaking of a time that they will come with us, the people who are far off, and worship him for who he truly is. And so regardless of when that time is, we should pray that as we go out and we preach the gospel to people, that they would all, just like the psalmist and just like these Old Testament Jews, as they see Jesus, would burst out in a psalm and say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Yahweh. Amen? Because the Jews knew the psalms. When they were pressed for joy, oppressed for discouragement, they sang psalms. Let us be like them. And Jesus, as he's preparing for Holy Week and as he's going throughout Holy Week, he's even preaching this psalm. He's teaching this psalm because it connects to him. And it's really cool. He has this deep connection with this psalm. And then the last thing I wanted to show you in Matthew, look at Matthew 26. And so this psalm became a favorite psalm for festivals. This psalm became a favorite psalm for this Jewish people. And it's really cool. They most likely for a few centuries have been singing this psalm every year at Passover. So they know it well, they see it as tradition, they love it. Just like some of you love, you know, Santa Claus songs or something, I don't know. Some of you guys, you know, loving certain Christmas songs. They were in love with these psalms, read it every year at least. And then look at Matthew 26, starting in verse 30. So this is the Lord's Supper. I'll, I'll start actually verse 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Most scholars believe because of the tradition of the Jews, that that hymn that they sang was Psalm 113 through 118. Think of it with me. Jesus, the very last psalm he sings is Psalm 118. Look again with me at Psalm 118. Verse 5. Out of my distress I called on the Yahweh. The Yahweh answered me and set me free. The Yahweh is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Yahweh is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Yahweh than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Yahweh 
than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Yahweh, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Yahweh, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Yahweh, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Yahweh helped me. The Father's helping him through this pressure. But then right here, you know, verse 18. The Yahweh has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. If this is truly a psalm of a king and that king being Jesus, how can he proclaim this? Well, he could proclaim it the same way that he's saying to Lazarus that he will not surely, he will live again. Because yes, he dies, just like all of us will physically die. Someone might see us die, but us who believe in Jesus will never truly die. We will live. Jesus was this king who was not just severely disciplined, but he was severely punished. When we get disciplined by God, there is no punishment in it because all of it was poured out on this Psalm 118 king, Jesus. Every single ounce of everything you've ever done that was disobedience to God has been poured out on the Son in the name of Yahweh. It pleased Yahweh to crush his Son. It pleased him. Why? Because it was satisfying the very sin that he hated, the very sin that you did that he hated. It pleased him to satisfy it and punish it. And so when we come to our Father, when we come to this covenant-keeping God, we know that we can come to Him freely because every ounce of all the punishment we deserve has been poured out on Jesus. And He drank that cup to the dregs. He drank it to the very last drop. And Jesus is reading this psalm right before He goes out to the garden. And He knows, verse 22... The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He knows that he's that stone that the builders are rejecting, but through this death, that through this suffering, he's going to become this cornerstone. And that verse 23, this is the Yahweh's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Yahweh has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. He's seeing this day come, this day is dawning where he's going to experience the wrath of God and he goes this is the day that Yahweh has made let me rejoice and be glad in it and he goes to the garden and then he reads the cry of the people verse 25 save us we pray O Yahweh O Yahweh we pray give us success Jesus knows he's the only way that these people can be saved he knows that these Cries of these people are for him to enter into the cross, to be lifted up so that all men can see him and all men can be healed by him. He knows he has to go through this for them as they cry, Hosanna, save us. Oh, Yahweh, save us. He knows he's the Savior that can only do that. And verse 26, he knows, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Yahweh. We bless you from the house of the Yahweh. He knows he's that man. He knows he's that king. Though they misunderstood it and they thought he was going to become king on a throne on this earth, but he first had to be lifted up. And now he's seated, reigning at the right hand of the throne of the Father. And then look at verse 27. I just think of this as, Jesus is singing this psalm. 
you know, he's saying Psalm 113, and he's going towards the end of Psalm 118, right before they go out to the garden. He says, the Yahweh is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. He knows he's the light that shines in the darkness. He knows he's the light that shines like John is speaking about in his gospel. And what's so cool is when in John 13, when Judas takes the sop from our Lord Jesus, Jesus says, whatever you're doing, do quickly. He goes out and John, John writes, and it was dark. And it's really cool how he writes that. He's very poetic in, in showing that. And Jesus, after that, enters in that darkness. And that's the night that he gets betrayed. That's the night that he goes to the cross. He enters into that darkness, but the Yahweh is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. And then right here, the end of verse 27, bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. Jesus is singing this, knowing that he's that festal sacrifice, that festival sacrifice that's going to be bound with not cords but nails to the cross, taking every drop of punishment on him, every drop of wrath on him. Isn't that crazy? Like, think about what Jesus is doing, but he's using this psalm to probably help him get up. And when he's in the garden, sweating drops of blood, and he gets up, not my will, but your will be done, this psalm and these psalms probably encourage him and help him to get up. And you know what? Is Jesus, we only have seven things, seven statements that get mentioned on the cross by Jesus, and three of them are psalms quotations from the Psalms. This man bled the Psalms. This man literally, as he's being torn open, quotes Psalms. Let us, like him, be a man, a woman, who quotes Psalms as we're going through the toughest, darkest times because God has given us this book, given us this Psalter to use it as ointment to our flesh in the darkest times. Amen? And I would just encourage us all, that we would be able to say, because of Jesus, verse 17, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Yahweh. The Yahweh has disciplined Jesus severely, but he has not given him over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Yahweh. Jesus is that king who opens the gates. And now, as verse 20, this is the gate of the Yahweh. The righteous shall enter through it. Jesus is that gate that we enter through, through his sacrifice. And we all, with a clean slate, and with his righteousness, get to enter and praise him. And I would encourage us all that we would do the same thing that this psalm is doing. It begins with the same verse and ends with the same verse. Psalm 118, verse 1. I'll give thanks to the Yahweh, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Verse 29. I'll give thanks to the Yahweh, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let us worship God correctly, for his steadfast love endures forever. And let us enjoy the Psalms the way they're supposed to be enjoyed. And let us pray that as we get cut, as we get pressed, as we rejoice that psalms would flow through our lips and that they would bless the world the way that they blessed Jesus and that we would be people and follow in his footsteps. Let's pray. Our Father, 
You have made your light to shine upon us. You have bound that sacrifice, your son, on the cross. And it's so amazing to me that that was your will. He was the stone that the builders rejected. He called them out to their faces that they were the builders, yet they could not go against your will. They could not go against your plan because you're so much stronger, you're so much mightier. And that even through Pontius Pilate, you were fulfilling your plan. Even through Judas, you let him go to fulfill your plan. You are so gracious and kind to us. Though we deserve punishment, you've given us everything to be accepted by you. And everything is found in our Lord Jesus. All of your promises become yes in Jesus. All of your word we get because of Jesus, all of the promises, all of the good gifts. And we become children of you because of Jesus. If anybody is dealing with guilt and shame, please, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help them to know that they're forgiven and that they can now get up and walk in that forgiveness because of the person and work of Jesus. He was that sacrifice that was nailed to the cross taking all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our sin. Please, Lord Jesus, be with us. Please, Lord Jesus, help us to sing the Hallel Psalms this week. Help us to join with all of the church universally singing the psalm book that you've given us. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.